Ever wonder what motivates people to get plastic surgery? Did they regret it? What can we learn from the stories of plastic surgery patients? We're here to explore those questions and get some of the answers with my guest Blake on the Plastic Surgeon Podcast. Hello, my friends. Welcome back, and thanks to our listeners for the amazing feedback. We have had so much fun so far and look forward to more of your insights and suggestions. Please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts to help us get you more amazing content. On the Plastic Surgeon Podcast, we listen to real plastic surgery stories of triumph and pain from real patients and providers to further understand the motivations of why they would risk their life under the knife. I'm Dr. Javad Saj, and my guest today is the awesome Blake. Blake underwent gender affirming top surgery transitioning from female to male with me. We're here to talk to you about your journey, how we came to know each other, the procedure you underwent, and how it affected you, Blake. So, Blake, where are you from? I'm from Snohomish, Washington. Is that where you were born and raised? Yes. During your childhood, transitioning became something that you thought of. Is that right? Yeah. I knew, I what looking back, what really hit me was about kindergarten is when I knew that I was trans. How did you know? Um, it really, my most vivid memory was when I was a kid and I was on the playground at, at recess and they, the, all the girls were cheering for boys. And I was like, well, why aren't they cheering for me? I'm playing with them. How did you know that transgender was a thing or gender was a thing at that age? I didn't know what trans was at that age. I just knew I didn't feel like a girl and I didn't identify with the rest of the girls that were that my age and did you find yourself trying to dress differently or be differently in kindergarten yeah i and another vivid memory is like my grandparents supported me and they would buy me boy clothes and my mom would get upset at them constantly (laughs) how did they know you liked boys clothes because when they would take me shopping for like school clothes or something that's all i would want what did your mom say about it she I would just get like discouraged and be like, no, you, you need to be wearing girls clothes or you should wear this or you should wear that. And it's like, no, I don't want to. That's not what I wanted. How did that make you feel when your mom said that? It made me, I didn't really understand it at the time, but it just made me feel sad. Were you living with your grandparents? No, I was living with my mom and my dad. Um, I'm an only child. Were your grandparents in town or were they far away? Uh, they just live in Monroe, which is about 20 minutes from Snohomish. How often would they see you? Uh, just, I don't know, at least a few times a month. You know, it's a, probably a misconception, but you often feel people from an older generation are more likely to not be supportive of something like that. Why do you think your grandparents were supportive? Um, my grandma is definitely a person of the 60s, so she mm. definitely was more supportive and open-minded about, like, different people per se did anyone talk to you about gender at that around that age or did it come up as an issue no it never came up as an issue i don't my i don't think my parents even heard the word trans until i came out later and then during your education when did you start learning about gender uh not till high school and how did elementary and middle school treat you um elementary i uh, wasn't so much of an issue everybody knew that I was a tomboy so 
it, that's just who I was. Middle school was definitely hard because I started experimenting with sexuality and a little bit of gender more, but definitely I didn't like still realize it until about 13. So middle school at 13 is when everything kind of hit the fan. And when you say you were experimenting with sexuality, what do you mean by that? Did you have other partners at that age? I uh, had my first girlfriend at like, what, 13 or something at the middle school age. So I would, that's when I, okay, I realized I was gay, but the gender thing was like in the background still. So you were presenting as a girl and then you were quote unquote dating a girl at that age. Yeah. And was she also, uh, was she also gay or lesbian? Yeah. And how did she know she was like that? Um, honestly, I don't know. We just kind of, I like, I didn't know until like I had feelings for her until like we started talking about that kind of stuff. And how did that pop up? Just, I just, I don't know. I, I started seeing things on TV and I was like, oh my God, I'm gay and I like this girl. Hmm. Was it a show or a moment in TV that you saw that made you understand or learn about it? Um, it kind of started with Glee, I think, with a lot of people my age. Glee was the first, like, major television show that had visibly gay people on it. And then uh, you dated this girl for a little bit of time? Yeah, probably th- midway through high school. So from seventh grade to with my sophomore year. And the people in your school know you were with her? Yeah. What did they say? Um, so much was surprisingly uh, accepting. I don't know if it's just me. I'm one of those people that doesn't tolerate a lot of crap so Mm -hmm. they didn't mess with me a lot but not a lot came up I mean it did occasionally where people would sort of try and bully me but it just never was an issue for me and were you dressing more quote-unquote like a tomboy at this age or were you dressing more of a traditional female role I was more traditional female seventh and eighth grade and then my freshman year is when transitioning came up how did you learn that transgenderism, if you will, is a thing? Um, I, that's when I got my first phone at the time, and I could start doing my own research. And on the internet, you started looking up gender, and or what did you start doing first? Um, it really came up in, like, anime is what I started looking at. Is, really? Uh, like Japanese cartoons? Yeah. Yeah, okay. On, like, gay people and gender and that kind of stuff. And because I really was a huge anime fan at the time. I used to watch Dragon Ball Z. Oh, yeah. That counts, right? Yeah. I was into Naruto and Yu-Gi-Oh. Oh, yeah. I don't know, Naruto. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. They, so they have transgender people on that show? Uh, not necessarily trans people. I mean, you could probably pick some out, but um, the gender neutral thing is what really started to strike me on the androgyny on what on okay, this like a character called uh, Haku was a boy, but looked really, really feminine. Huh. But they didn't present it as a gender thing. Mm-mm. And did that person have? partners or relations of the same gender or that was never a thing that was never an issue it was just that, that person was extremely androgynous and then what where did you go from there i just started uh the gender came up more this was 2011 2012 and so more like gender issues were starting to come up in the media and so i just started looking at all that stuff and i was like all oh, this is making sense to me how was your mom responding towards all of this? I kept it very private at the time. So I she didn't really see it much. I, I hid it from her. Did your grandparents or anybody else in your family know? No. Who knew? Uh, just my friends at school. 
how are they responding to this? Um, most of them very well, very well. Um, the ones that weren't, I figured out really weren't my friends, um, not so well. And I ended up distancing myself from them. When did you, um, in high school, in high school, you decided you were transgender. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. I came out the beginning of my sophomore year. And when you say you came out, what does that mean? I started telling people that I was trans. Who did you tell first? I told my best friend at the time. And what did your friend say? She didn't really know what to say at first, but she was like, I mean, if this is what, what you want, that's cool. Were you going in therapy or anything like that during this time? Um, no. My mom, when I came out as gay in middle school, my mom tried sending me to therapy and I refused. <laughs> was it regular therapy or conversion therapy? Um, it, it was regular therapy, but with the goal of conversion in mind. And um, why didn't you go to it? I didn't want to talk to anybody at the time. And then I just, the therapist that she sent me to was her choosing. And it was an older guy that I knew had no idea about LGBT issues. And it was of, I think, Christian origin. He was like out of a Christian related organization. And I just, I, everything about it was red flags for me. Did you even meet with him or you just researched him? No, I met with him probably 10 times. Oh, you did? Yeah. Just to be loyal or nice or listen no, to your mom? No, because my mom made me. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And how, tell me how those interactions went, because a lot of people go through that. Uh, it was really tense. I mean, I really didn't talk much. I just answered basic questions, but I wouldn't give him like any information about myself. What would he tell you? He just, he... Because I was so closed off, he didn't really know what to do besides pry. And he kept, like, asking me questions about why did I feel this way and stuff like that. And I just wouldn't answer. And did he try redirecting you? Like not telling you that maybe this, you're incorrect or what you're thinking is wrong? Not really, because I wouldn't let it get there. I mean, I knew better. I knew what I knew what the goal in mind was. So I just refused to let it get that way. How did you stop that therapy? Uh, my mom just knew that, that there wasn't any point anymore, so she just let me stop going. You came out to your friends in high school. When did you tell your mom? I told her December sixteenth uh, of twenty thirteen. It's really specific. How did you tell her? Um, I told her pretty much forcefully after she went through my phone and found some conversations with friends, and yeah, pretty much forced me to come out. How did that go? It was bad. <laughs> what happened? Um, I was pretty much cornered in, uh, in the living room of my childhood home. And I had to yeah, tell her that I was trans, why I felt this way. I felt this way my whole life, even though she ignored all of the signs that there was no denying it. What did she say? She said, no, you can't be this way. You've never, you've never been a boy and all these kinds of things. But it was like I tried explaining to her and pointing out memories in my life that I even told her. Um, I think it was third grade I mentioned to her that I felt like a boy. And I remember that day, and she doesn't. And I think she blocks it out of her mind. Hmm. What did she say after your conversation in your living room? Um, she originally said that it's okay, we'll get through this. But then her actions following that disproved that. <laughs> what were her actions? Um, she basically didn't talk to me for a couple months after that, even though living in the same home. Like zero? Basically nothing. 
Then what happened? And then just everything was hard after that. Our relationship didn't improve until probably two years ago. What happened two years ago that it improved? I think as enough time passed and she realized that, you know, this is my only child and I'm going to love him if he's a man or not. Did you guys have a conversation or did the ice just finally thaw? I think it finally thawed. Um, because things were so tense, I didn't let her into my personal life a lot. Um, I mean, things gradually improved, but our like personal relationship never mended until that point. So transitioning is a spectrum, right? People do it differently in different ways. Mm -hmm. when, you, when your mom learned about it, is that when you started presenting socially as a male? Um, I think that's when she like started looking into it. I started presenting pretty much right after I came out, um, fully like socially transitioning. And for people that don't know, can you tell us what socially transitioning means? Means that I started telling people my pronouns were he, him, and I identified as male. And at that point is when I changed my name to Blake. And what, what did you start? So you started dressing. You started buying more boy clothes. Yeah, is that correct or male clothes, if you will. Yeah. And you, you, would your mom call you Blake or no? No, and she still doesn't to the day. <laughs> Who started calling you Blake first? My friends. And how did the school respond to it? Did you tell them, or what happened with that? I didn't really go that far into taking the effort to tell my teachers because I didn't care. Um, but I made it an effort to tell my friends and classmates to refer to me as he, him, and Blake. What did they say? Um, I didn't get much pushback. They were just like, okay. And uh, other than socially transitioning, did you start anything else? No. And when the I started with your, with your mom, um, where did she take it from there? How did, how did things get better? Um, I think she, she, we never really had a conversation about it. I, we still really haven't. I think she just said, it's not about me and this is who you are. And I just have to love you for who you are. Um, she said that in less words over the years. What were your grandparents saying during all this? They knew they didn't have a lot of say in it and didn't want to make a rift in the relationship with my mom either. So they did the best they could to just kind of step back and do the least. And then when everything really boiled over, when I came out, my grandma decided she's going to support me. Well, um, did you have other family members who knew? No, what, uh, my family is very small. Was your dad involved in your life? He's, yeah, he's still in my life, but he pretty much just has gone along with what my mom has said the entire time. So now... Um, and now in 2020, everybody's comfortable with it, correct? Yeah. After you socially transitioned, when did you decide you were going to medically transition? I decided immediately that I was going to medically transition when, before I had even come out. But the issue was, is I knew my mom and my dad weren't going to be supportive. And um, they actually made a condition with me that I couldn't even cut my hair until I was 18 years old. And so definitely couldn't take hormones or medically transition at that point. So I didn't um, take hormones until I was 20. How did you um, start medically transitioning? I did a lot of research on our on uh, endocrinologists in our area and found one that was taking new patients. 
Did they make you go through counseling before you started hormone? Yeah. And that was one thing that I actually did through high school without my mom knowing is on when I would work, I would save money and put away. And luckily there was a therapist in the area that was doing like an LGBT grant. Um, I forget what the name of it even is, but each session was $10 and I was, I was able to go see her, talk to her and do like the old fashioned way. I mean, you can call it the old fashioned way on you had to get a letter for of recommendation and all that kinds of stuff um, before transitioning. So I did that. And then I took I forget what it's even called, but it's basically the gender evaluation test. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got my letter of recommendation before going to the endocrinologist. How was the endocrinologist? Very easy opening. Um, her, her name is actually Dr. Lori Cooper. She's at the Polyclinic here in Seattle. So you drove from Bellingham to Seattle? From Snohomish. Snohomish to Seattle. When you started hormones at 20, what were you doing? What was your, were you in college? Were you working? What were you doing? Yeah, I was a full-time working college student. And um, so I worked at the local co-op doing feed store work and then full-time college at Everett Community College. And what are you studying? Nuclear medicine. Oh, that's cool. What do you want to do? Be a nuclear medicine tech. Well, what does that mean? So nuclear medicine is the opposite of x-ray. So we give people radio tracers uh, through their IVs, which like the most common one in nuclear medicine is a heart scan. So like I give an IV, uh, it's called technetium 99M sestamibi, mm -hmm. goes to the heart and then we detect the radiation coming out of the patient in collimators. How did you learn about that? I was originally interested in ultrasound, but mm -hmm. then I started looking at all imaging and nuclear medicine was the most interesting. That's cool. When did you decide surgery was for you, Blake? Um, when I decided that working out was too painful with a binder. <laughs> when did you start binding? I started binding in 2013, so I binded for seven years. How did you, uh, why did you start binding? Because I was very uncomfortable with my chest. How were you uncomfortable? Just having breast tissue and having a female shape was uncomfortable. And then you started um, looking into surgery after, your, after you did the hormones in your 20s, correct? I started looking at surgeons when I came out. <laughs> mm. And how did you hear about me in this process? Um, I just looked in the area because I knew I didn't really want to travel. And then mm -hmm. um, just looking. I've looked for a long time. <laughs> how did you uh, tell your mom that you wanted surgery? I told her that I was uncomfortable with my body and I can't live like this anymore. How did she respond to you being on hormones and your physique, your voice, hair, everything changing? She was pretty silent about it. She didn't um, really react until, you know, about two years in, about a year ago, that I started really looking male. And um, now she'll, like, tell me that I'm handsome and things like that. And that's nice to hear. Um, but it definitely took her a while. What was the final thing that made you decide to book your consult and start the process for surgery? Um, that I just was starting to physically get unhealthy and depression, um, that I wasn't treating myself right because of the dysphoria and discomfort. And then you researched some doctors, you ran across my name, right? Mm -hmm. What made you want to see me out of everybody else? Because there's a few people in the Seattle area who do this. 
Um, you were definitely were listed with the most experience and most positive feedback. Did you watch any of the surgeries live? Yeah. Did that help you make your decision? Yeah, I'm definitely kind of a medical nerd, so I watch all the surgeries. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So you watch my snaps and you see how we do things. Yeah. So there's different kinds of operations we can do for chest reconstruction, right? Well, there's something called the anchor approach where you basically, it's a cis female reduction that's done more aggressively. Mm -hmm. There's something called a keyhole where you just make a small incision underneath the nipple and take the tissue out. And then there's the most invasive, a double incision. A double incision is where I make an incision on each side. I remove the nipple from the body, remove the tissue, liposculpt a more male physique, and then put it back together. In this procedure, the nipple is retransplanted. It's called an autotransplant on the, uh, on the body to create a more male physique. So we talked about those different options during your consult. How did that go? It went well. I was trying to convince myself at the time that I was eligible for a keyhole, and I definitely wasn't. <laughs> I had too much tissue for too much of a fold. And um, once I accepted that I had to get double incision surgery, I, it clicked in my head pretty well after that. So why were you thinking keyhole versus double incision? Because I didn't want the double incision scars and um, being very obvious like to the public, if I were to take my shirt off or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was it hard to accept that you would lose all nipple sensation with a double incision? Because that's one of the things that happens with that operation. No, it wasn't. And I see a lot of people that are concerned about that and get kind of detached about that. Um, but I never was too concerned about that. And it doesn't bother me now. After the consult, you went home and you talked to your mom about it? Um, not really, no. Were you doing everything and fun and just paying for it with the other work you were doing, or was she helping you with it? I'm thankfully on my parents' insurance, so that is how I pay for everything. When you told her you really wanted surgery, how did she respond, Blake? At this point, when I went through the consult and I was in the process of scheduling and everything, she was supportive at this point. Did she want to come to the consult to learn herself, or not really? Not really. Why do you think so? I think it was just a con the in her mind, just a consult on this is just a piece of the process. How did you feel once you booked surgery? I felt really good. What was going through your mind that you were going to make this um, permanent change in your body? Um, that's a really good question because I honestly I was just like, okay, this is part of my process, and I didn't like. At that point in time, and it wasn't a huge like moment for me, which I think is a little strange looking back now, but it just was a phase. As surgery day was approaching and the night before, what was going through your mind? I had never had major surgery, so I was like, oh my God, what if something goes wrong? <laughs> then we did your surgery. We, did, we ended up doing a double incision chest reconstruction with free nipple graph. You are part of our docu-series, right? We filmed it. How... Um, and then you went home the same day. How did you feel that day after the surgery was done? I felt really good that it was done. And I just was really focused on healing at that point. And, you know, getting to know you a little bit, Blake, I know you're a, more of a private person, but you're happy to share with others. You agreed to be part of our TV series to share your experience. What made you want to agree to that? Um, coming from such a small town, I was fortunate that people were pretty accepting and progressive, I guess, progressive mindset on 
um, learning new things about people and that people are different and trans people really aren't that different from any other person. But I, I have plenty of friends and know people in other places that aren't and um, don't have that acceptance. And I would rather those people become people that learn about it and become accepting and learn that it's not different. How is it not different? I mean, I had to become a male uh, physically and socially, but I'm no different than any other male. How do you feel now after surgery? I feel much more confident and just happy with myself. And I don't have to stress that I have to wear a binder for eight hours a day again and that my back and my ribs are going to hurt. How did the scars make you feel when you see them in the mirror? Um, at first, it was a little jarring um, because I was like, this is not exactly not what I wanted. But that only lasted for about a week. And then after that, I was like, well, these are a part of me now. And it shows what I went through. When you say not what I wanted, do you mean the type of operation or the look of the chest? What do you mean by that? The look of the chest mainly um, because I just the because they were so dark at first. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're only a week old scars. I was, it took a lot out of me to look at them. What did you make? What did, what, what thoughts went through your mind when you looked at them? I was like the first thing I was like, people are going to know I'm trans when they look at my chest. But then I was like, no, not really. Not a lot of people will immediately associate it with that. Why do you care if people know you're transgender? Because of the stigma that has, has been around being transgender for so long. I mean, when um, Bruce Jenner, now Caitlyn Jenner, um, came out, I saw a lot of bad media reaction. And that was how I thought I would be treated at first um, by like any media or things like that or just the public in general. But now I see that's not immediately true. Give me an example of the bad stigma that you think is associated with transgender people. Um, that no matter the like comments I see are no matter how many hormones you take or all the surgeries you do, you do, you'll never be the gender you said gender. Like you'll never be a man or you'll never be a woman. When you see that, how does it make you feel? This makes me feel sad. Um, that no matter like you, even though you see somebody went through such a great process that you would deny somebody that in somebody else's mind. What are you doing now with your life, Blake? What are you up to? I'm a full-time college student working through my internship, ready to graduate in five months. Uh, you're doing it. So your internship is in nuclear medicine? Mm -hmm. Are you, do they pay you for that? That's just something you do part of your education? Nope. It's an unpaid internship. In, are you working any jobs right now? Yeah, I work for a tractor supply on the weekends. Oh, what do you do there? It's uh, like a home improvement feed store. Oh, that's cool. And then you have your horse, Ted, right? Yeah. Tell us about Ted. Ted is a big goofball. <laughs> He's a 17-hand paint that I show in Western Pleasure. That's awesome. What's next for you in life, my friend? Um, Just to get out of COVID and start working. <laughs> Are you in any relationships right now? Yeah. Do you have a girlfriend, boyfriend? I have, my partner is non-binary. Okay, that's cool. And how did you find them? I approached them one night after one of their shows at a drag bar, a queer bar here in town. 
How long ago was that? It was a year ago now. And how have things been going? We've it's good. We have a good relationship. Um, they've actually had some work done by you also. That's that's awesome. Um, where do you see your, your future heading? Are you staying with your mom right now? Do you have your own place? I'm living at home right now. Um, after graduation and getting a job, first thing is going to move out. And are you going to stay in Snohomish County? Um, in the state, probably. That's awesome. So, so Blake, you've had a tremendous journey. If there was one thing you could share with other people who are going through this that would have been good for you to hear, what would that be? Um, the Probably the best thing um, is that you have to live with yourself and you can't, even if you have a small family like mine, where your family, your basically your immediate family is all you have, you can't let their opinion affect you because you have to go to bed every night with yourself. And if you're not happy with yourself, then what are you really living for? Are you happy now, Blake? Yes. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being my guest today, Blake. Your story is so strong, so powerful. When I think about it, it really helps me see how an individual person's will, determination, guides them through difficult difficulties and sometimes a lack of support at home. And, and I think you being you has made you so great today. And it helps, helps help create the life that you have and the life you're going to have. I have learned a lot. I know your ordeal will teach our listeners how and what to expect as they go down their own plastic surgery journey. I appreciate your time and I'm honored to have you as a good patient and I would say my friend Blake. Thanks for listening to the Plastic Surgeon Podcast and please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts for more amazing content. For my live surgeries on Snapchat and my adventures throughout the week, catch us on all social media at Real Doctor Seattle. See you next time. Bam. Bam. Oh, 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 oh,